You're listening to the teaching of Calvary Paris. For more information, go to www.calvaryparis.com. 1 Samuel chapter 12 this morning. In the context of our scripture passage today, uh, we're going to be talking about the legacy of a righteous leader. And I want to catch up to speed really quickly in case you haven't been here. Or just to catch all of us up and get us on the same page. The nation of Israel is in the midst of a transition period here in the book of 1 Samuel. They're transitioning from the disunity of the tribes during the period of the judges. When they, and, and, and that was a time when every man was doing what was right in their own eyes, if you'll remember. And during the process of consolidating the kingdom of Israel under Saul, we see the people have come together, they've gathered now at the famous Gilgal, the place of first, the the first camp where Israel camped out after crossing the Jordan River, coming into the land that was promised to them. And it's here at Gilgal where Samuel chooses to give his farewell address to the people that he has served for so long. Samuel has really been God's anointed spiritual leader, bringing stability to the nation, guiding them through one of the toughest times of their history into a new period of history where they're now going to be consolidated under a kingdom. As a priest, Samuel has interceded for the people. He loves the people of Israel. And because he loves them, he's been faithful to present them before the, before the Lord, to pray for them. But as a prophet... Samuel has also been faithful to preach truth and to reprove the the, the nation of Israel of their wickedness when he needs to do that. And so Samuel is a fulfillment of both of those ministries, priest and prophet. But what's even cooler, as we're going to see at the end of this message today, is how Jesus fulfills not only those two ministries, but also the ministry of king. He's also going to be a king, or he is king, and he wants to be our king, (laughs) Now, in our passage today, we're going to go ahead and begin with Samuel's farewell address here in chapter 12. Pick it up with me, follow in your Bible with me as we look at verse 1 of 1 Samuel 12. We see Samuel's integrity here. It says, Then Samuel addressed all Israel. I've done as you asked and given you a king. Your king is now your leader. I stand here before you, an old gray-haired man, and my sons serve you. Just a real quick second, let me, let me give you a, a quick bit of information. I'm reading actually from the New Living Translation in case you're wondering why it sounds different. If you're reading New King James, which is what I normally teach from, this is New Living Translation. It says, I have served as your leader from the time I was a boy to this very day. Now testify against me in the presence of the Lord and before his anointed one. Whose ox or donkey have I stolen? Have I ever cheated any of you? Have, you? have I ever oppressed you? Have I ever taken a bribe and perverted justice? Tell me, and I will make right whatever I have done wrong. No, they replied, you've never cheated or oppressed us, and you have never taken even a single bribe. The Lord and his anointed one are my witnesses today, Samuel declared, that my hands are clean. Yes, he is a witness, they replied. Let's pause right here for a moment. 
If you want to grab your outlines and pull those out, you can fill them in as we go along. It'll help you to, to stay involved in the study as we learn today. But first of all, we realize about Samuel is that he has a faithful, a life of faithful service to the Lord. And this is actually one of the main themes in the book of 1 Samuel is fearing the Lord leads to a life of faithful service. And that's definitely what we see here in Samuel's life. Samuel is leaving a legacy of righteous leadership behind him. And that legacy started with faithfulness and it ended with faithfulness. And this is key for us to understand because this is something that every leader should do. Every person who's been given responsibility should aspire to is faithfulness in our service. Now, this morning, I need to remind all of you that the fact that you have been given a life by God is proof that he is requiring stewardship from you. You are going to give a stewardship of the life that you are living. And, and, and that in and of itself is a form of leadership. You have been given control. You've been put in charge, so to speak. You've been given sovereignty and the freedom to make choices. And in fact, you make hundreds of choices every day. But each one of those choices is leading up to the legacy that you are leaving. You are leaving a legacy. Samuel's legacy started as a boy. He made a faithful decision that he was going to remain in the tabernacle and he was going to serve the Lord. He has now been in a position of leadership from the time that he was a boy up until now. I love that picture there. He says from the time that he was a boy until the time he was an old man with gray hair. And that reminds me of something this week. We were, I was wrestling around with my boys a little bit and in the process of wrestling around, one of them suddenly looks up at my beard, you know, on the bottom side of my chin, and he's like, Dad, you have a patch of gray hair, you know? And I'm like, hey, <laughs> let's just skip that, you know? This is all blonde up here. You can't even really see that I have hair sometimes right here, but I, I do have a small smattering of hair up here, by the way. It's just bl- blonde. But now I've apparently got some gray on my beard. Listen, the Proverbs tells us, though, that gray hair... That is a sign of wisdom for those of us that have gone through a lot of life experience, right? So that's my claim right there. I'm, I'm claiming it, and we all should. But it also says that the glory of young men is their strength. You notice, I, I've been noticing that as well. In my wrestling matches with my boys, I've got three of them. I'm realizing something here. They're getting stronger and stronger. I'm getting weaker and weaker as time goes on, you know? It's like the, the amount of energy I have to fend them all off is kind of going less and less. And so I have to get dirty, you know? I'm like punching them and stuff, you know, and doing real mean stuff on the side. No, I'm kidding. I don't do that. Only if I'm losing real bad, right? But Samuel has gone through this whole transition. He started as a young boy serving the Lord. Now he's an old man. He's got gray hair, and he's at the end of his time, and he's reflecting, and he says, hey, listen, I've served faithfully, and this is part of his legacy, guys, is this faithful service. It didn't matter what it was, what the Lord put before him. He stepped into it, and he did his best day after day, month after month, year after year. You know, in Samuel's day, or apparently in the time of the judges, there was no term limits, I guess. 
But when we're talking about a guy, and that's probably, maybe we need to get some for some people, but, but for Samuel, in Samuel's case, apparently he didn't need those term limits because he was faithful to God. He was a godly man. We see that not only was he faithful, he was also righteous. Check out there, his righteous leadership. You can see it in verses 3 through 5. But by righteous, I mean the sense of having integrity and having a right relationship with the people that he was called to lead. That's what, you, you know that righteous not only means right relationship with God, but righteousness also means between us and mankind, our fellow mankind. And, and so Samuel has this example of righteous leadership in that he's able to say at the end of his ministry, I've never stolen or cheated or deceived or uh, oppressed or taken a bribe. And if I have... Let this be the opportunity for you to come forward and to bring that evidence against me. And, and what he's talking about there, what he's referring to there, is really three areas of temptations for really any person, but especially people that are in leadership. People who are in leadership are going to t- uh, uh, be tested in these three areas specifically. And that first area is stealing or cheating. Okay, those are basically... So, so the. They're very similar. The idea is very similar in the Hebrew language. But this is when a leader secretly takes what is not rightfully his or deceives his people to get what he wants. Okay, This is a temptation for people who are in positions of leadership to do this. Now, we know that this is not God's character. He tells us in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 11 through 13, he says... Do not steal. Do not deceive or cheat one another. Do not bring shame on the name of your God by using it to swear falsely, I am the Lord. In other words, that's the reason behind all of this. It's all connected to Him, His character, His integrity as God. This is part of who He is. Verse 13, He says, Do not defraud or rob your neighbor. Do not make your hired workers wait until the next day to receive their pay. In other words, don't hold back when you have the ability to pay what you owe to the people that you've hired. Okay, And and, and this is all part of God's character. This all ties into who He is. He's not a God who lies or or steals or cheats. He's not a God who defrauds. And because He is not a God who does that, those that follow Him especially those that have been given an entrusted leadership, we need to emulate him in that area. A second area that is a temptation for leaders where they can be tempted in is in the area of oppression. Oppression is when a leader abuses his power over others in order to get what he wants. Okay, Abusing power over others in order to Get what you want. A self, fulfill your selfish desires. Ezekiel the prophet had something to say about oppressive leaders. And the verses are on the screen there for you. Ezekiel chapter 34. We read this. Then this message came to me from the Lord. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds, the leaders of Israel. Give them this message from the sovereign Lord. What sorrow awaits you? Shepherd, what what sorrow awaits you, shepherds, who feed yourselves instead of your flocks? Shouldn't shepherds feed their sheep? 
He goes on to say, You drink the milk, wear the wool, and butcher the best animals, but you let your stocks, your flocks starve. You have not taken care of the weak. You have not tended the sick or bound up the injured. You have not gone looking for those who have wandered away and are lost. Instead, you have ruled them with harshness and cruelty. So check it out here in the scriptures. God's heart is against the leader who rules with oppressiveness, with harshness and cruelty. Listen, when power is used in an ungodly way to gain an advantage over vulnerable people in order to serve selfish desires, that is an abomination to God. And it is called an abuse of power. And unfortunately, the human weakness, guys, if we're honest... If we're all honest, whatever power we have as human beings, we face the temptation to be oppressive. We like to use our position to fulfill selfish desires. But listen, that's not God's heart. That's not God's way. Why am I talking to, this, to you about this today? Well, I think it's a hugely important topic in our society today, in our culture today. When you are are studying the news and when you're watching what's happening in the world out there, hey, the Christian church is not exempt from abuses of power. We have seen in in just recently down in Houston, the story breaking. It's it's a huge story about the Southern Baptist Convention and how there's sexual predators that have been hiding out within a system where abuse of power is encouraged and allowed. And it's dangerous. And we need to bring it to the light and we need to call for accountability here in our own midst first. We need to be careful that we're not setting up these kind of structures where people can hide out and know that they're going to be not called on the carpet for sin. We need to have an an, an atmosphere of accountability. And we talked about this this week in our staff meeting. I brought the staff in. I said, listen, guys, we have got to be open and honest, and we need to know what our policies are and put protections in place, and we need to know what we're going to do when this happens. Because it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter if you're the senior pastor or if you're a volunteer. It doesn't matter if, you know, if you're a sheriff or you're a policeman or you're a teacher or a coach or a pastor's wife. It doesn't matter. We're all going to be held accountable for our lives. We're all going to be held accountable before God. And so we need to foster an environment of accountability, not of shame, not where we're condemning people to shame because they're sinners. Hey, we're all sinners. We all know what it's like to sin, but we need to know that, hey, we are going to, we're going to call sin, sin. We're going to call it out when it happens. We're not going to allow there to be an abuse of power. If there is an abuse of power happening, then we need to know who we go to and how to handle that. Okay? We've got the, we've, here, here in our structure, we have the board of elders. And, and, and then outside of them, we have a regional leadership team over the Calvary Chapel region here. Okay, then there's myself, and we've got the staff, and we've got volunteers here. There's a structure in place, but, but we need to be careful that we don't encourage a structure where abuse of power is taking place. And just talking about it is a good start, I think. Just recognizing it. Just realizing it. We've seen what's happening in the Catholic Church, where, where, where the priests are abusing people. We've seen what's happening in the Christian Church, unfortunately, 
just recently, the Harvest Bible Fellowship with James McDonald. They just let him go because of abuses of power. Things like this that are happening in the church, guys. So yeah, we know it's going to happen in the world, but, but we have to be careful that we don't allow that to infiltrate the church. This happens in many different types of leadership relationships, though. From pastors, pastors' wives, school teachers, to husbands, to wives, to parents with their children. It's going to happen. We need to recognize it and call it out when it does. Obviously, we've seen this a lot in the news in recent times, haven't we? From politicians to movie directors, from priests, pastors, school teachers, even actors. Just about any area of leadership, really, you will find the potential for the abuse of power. We have to be honest about that. As Christians, though, following Christ's teachings, we know that he's given us a different style of leadership. What is that style? Well, Matthew chapter 20, verse 25 through 28 tells us. I'll read it to you. It says, but Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. You see that right there? Jesus has built into Christian leadership the check and the balance to abusive power. And he says, here's what it is. Instead of lording it over them and saying, look, I'm in the position of authority here and I need to claim the title and claim all the benefits that come with it, Jesus says, no, that's not your attitude. You're to be different. You're actually to see yourself as coming alongside in a role of serving and assisting and getting people to where they need to be. That's the idea of leadership within Christianity. Does that mean that we never make tough calls? No. Does that mean that, we, that people are always going to be happy with our decisions? No. That's not what it means. We know that sometimes we're going to have to make some tough decisions that ultimately are for the best for that person, even though they might not realize it or admit it in that moment. But because we're committed to serving them and helping them grow in character, we're going to have to objectively make those decisions sometimes. As you can see, though, Jesus' leadership style here, though, is about putting the welfare of others first. It's about serving them in leading. You're, you're leading them in a way that you're taking care of them, not just physical needs, but also their spiritual needs. Hey, my greatest need as a human being is to have my sin forgiven and receive the gift of eternal life. And then second to that is my development in character, godly character. As a, as a, as a man or you, as, if you're a woman, God wants to develop your character because he sees the whole picture. He sees you in eternity. And so God is going to be doing things in your life that you're not always going to understand. You're not always going to agree with. You might even have questions about. But God knows what he's doing. Because he's this kind of a leader who comes in and he says, I love you, I love you, I love you, and I'm going to serve you. I'm going to serve you. I'm not going to lord it over you. I'm going to come alongside. I'm going to help you get to where I'm taking you. But listen, as humans, if you're in any capacity of leadership, hey, we need to admit this this morning. We can't do all of that. (laughs) 
We are never going to be the leader that Jesus Christ is. In fact, there's one huge difference between us as leaders and between Jesus Christ as a leader, and that is that only Jesus Christ can meet every single human need. Only Jesus is the great I am. He, is, he alone is Savior. He alone is King. And He alone is able to meet us right where we are when we're hurting, when we're going through the tough things in life that we're, we're questioning. He's the only one that can comfort us and heal us and help us through those difficult times. Let's look now at that third area of temptation for leaders. That third area is bribery. Bribery is when a leader takes money or favors in exchange for looking the other way or not enforcing a law or not doing something or something else that might benefit the person who's giving the bribe. Now listen, you might say, well, does this ever really even happen in a church? Well, yes, it does. See, I've seen this happen where somebody wants to give a certain amount of money, usually a lot of money, and they want it to be known that they're giving a lot of money, and they want specifically those that are making calls in leadership to know that they're the ones giving that money because they want special privilege when it comes to making decisions. It's kind of like a lobbying thing. It happens in churches. It's not right. It shouldn't be happening, but it does, unfortunately, happen. It's never happened here, to my knowledge, that I've been here, but it can happen. There's the potential for it to happen. We need to be careful about that. Exodus chapter 23, verse 8, we see God's heart given to us once again through the Old Testament law. He says, take no bribes, for a bribe makes you ignore something that you clearly see. A bribe makes even a righteous person twist the truth. So true, isn't it? Even the righteous will twist the truth when it comes to getting special favors or money sometimes. There's the potential for it there. But we have to recognize that's not God's heart. That's not what God wants us to do. I lived, as many of you know, I lived for uh, just under 10 years in Costa Rica. And uh, part of my life there, part of the life that was different than here that I had to learn about was getting pulled over by the traffic police. They have a special division of traffic police down there. And they actually don't pull you over the way you get pulled over here. You know here, you always hate to see the sirens light up behind you, you know, and you get that feeling of fear, go through you, and your heart starts beating fast. You're like, oh, no, you know, what did I do, you know? And they pull you over in a car with lights, and they pull you over behind you. That's how they do it in the States. Well, in Costa Rica, it's totally different. What they do is they set a speed trap, usually hiding out behind some trees, with a, with a radar gun, right? And they clock you, and if you're going over the speed limit, or if you're driving a really nice car, and it looks like you have money, or, as in my case, if you've got a white face, you know, a gringo, they will pull you, or they'll step out into the street and wave you down. I mean, no kidding. Right into the highway and just start waving their arm, you know? So they step out, and you're like, you know, going to a hall. That's how they pull you over in Costa Rica. And in my many times of being pulled over there in Costa Rica, sad to say, there was not one time, well, actually, I take that back, one time I got a ticket, but not before, and this is every time, not before I was asked to pay a bribe. It usually came in this sort of a form. Hey, you were going this amount of speed and that ticket is going to cost you between 300 and 500 US dollars. And that's, that's a lot of money. 
Or if you want, you can take care of that with me right now with $40. You got $40? We'll take care of it right now, okay? Uh, One guy literally said to me, just, you know, it's $300 fine, but what do you have in your wallet right now? And, and I thought, you know what, you're not going to look inside my wallet. <laughs> I'm keeping my wallet where it is. Um, another guy, another traffic policeman actually asked me if instead of paying the ticket, he said, or you could just invite me to coffee right now. Just, just get me a cup of coffee, you know. And, and they make it so easy to just go, you know what, yeah, I could avoid all the problems of having a ticket and a fine if I just pay this guy, you know. Just grease his palms a little bit, you know, and he'll let me off the hook. But you know what? I couldn't do that. The Holy Spirit just would not let me do that. And, and so I had to time and time again, I had to tell them, I, I can't do that, sir. And they, they'd be like, what's wrong with you? And I would tell them, actually, it's because I'm a pastor. And I'm a pastor of a church here in Villarreal, and I, I, I can't pay bribes and things like that. And, and you know what? They, all, they usually always respected that. Only one guy gave me a ticket. He's like, oh, yeah? Well, you know, give me a big ticket, you know? The rest of them, they respected that. And they were like, okay, pastor, I respect the fact that you're, you're standing up for, for righteousness here. And they would let me go my way. But, but when those kinds of things are happening, guys, my point in, in telling you that is this. When corruption comes at all these different levels it infects the entire nation. And so you see every level of leadership, there's corruption. Because it doesn't start with just the cops that are pulling you over to give you a traffic ticket. It goes all the way up into the court system and into the politicians and into the government. And it's really scary. It's really scary what begins to happen when you allow that kind of corruption to come in. And you know what inevitably happens is it becomes unbearable. The system can't support it. And usually leaders end up crashing and burning and going to jail and going to prison and, and all this kind of stuff. They get called out. And, and so it's really hypocritical because everybody's doing it, but they're, they're roasting some people for it. But it happens. But listen, Samuel, getting back to our text in 1 Samuel, he was able to avoid all of these mistakes as a leader. He served from the time that he was a boy to the time that he was now an old man with gray hair. And he did it without falling into these temptations that are common to leadership. How was he able to do it? Well, number one, he knew and feared the Lord. He knew and feared the Lord. It's kind of hard to live your life in a position of authority and leadership and be deceiving people and oppressing people when you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. When you have, and when you're cultivating a fear of God in your life. What do I mean by cultivate fear of God? Well, David the psalmist, in his psalms, he prayed several times. He said, Lord, teach me to fear your name. He actually made that his prayer. God, teach me to fear you. How many of us as Christians today pray a prayer like that? We usually pray a prayer like, Lord, bless me. (laughs) Lord, bless me more. Lord, help me experience more of your love. And there's nothing wrong with that. I believe God does want to bless us. I believe it's good that we know his love for us, that we're secure in that. But Christians, we need to get beyond that as well. We need to learn that it's godly, it's biblical to pray prayers like, God, teach me to fear your name. Teach me what it means to fear you, God, to have a healthy respect and a reverence for you so that in my personal life, In my personal responsibility before you, God, I'm living to please you and you alone. 
Samuel had that. He cultivated a fear of the Lord in his life. That doesn't mean that he was out there, you know, uh, you know, afraid of God. He had a relationship, a personal relationship going with the Lord. And because of that, because he knew the Lord, he knew that it wouldn't be right to, do, uh, to, to cheat and to bribe and to oppress. I'll never forget a time in my life when I had the fear of God instilled in me in one moment. You know, there's been lots of times in my life where I see the fear of God, but I'll never forget this one. My little brother and I were playing out in the yard in the house where I grew up in, in northern Nevada, and we had our BB guns out, and we were shooting up all kinds of toys and stuff. I don't know if you guys remember G.I. Joe's, but we'd like set them out like they were, you know, an advancing army or whatever, and we'd, we'd taken them out with the BB guns, and it was fun. But I remember I started shooting some of my brother's toys that I wasn't supposed to be shooting, and my brother got angry, and he, he went in and told on me, and I got pretty upset about that. I felt like he betrayed me. So when he came back out of the house, I just kind of nonchalantly cocked my BB gun and shot him in the foot real fast, you know? Well, unbeknownst to me, my dad was watching this whole thing through the kitchen window. And all I remember is I heard the back porch door slam against the house. And I look over and I see a sight I've never seen since. And that's my dad in a dead sprint running right at me, you know? He's running right at me. And I was just like, oh my goodness, you know, what is my dad doing? And in that moment, I'll never forget, I had a fear come over me of, I messed up big time. I'm about to get it. Needless to say, I never shot my brother again with a BB gun so, or any other kind of a gun at all. Um, that was all I needed in that moment. It was a little bit of the fear of my father in me. You know what? It's the same thing for us. We have to remember that all of us one day will stand before the Lord and we will give an account for what we have done with our lives What you have done with the resources, the talent, the life experience that God has allowed in your life, all of those things, he's going to give it, he's going to ask for an accounting of those things. How you lived your life for Christ, that also includes an account of your leadership. Check out what Ecclesiastes 12, verse 13 and 14 says on the screen. It says, that's the whole story. Here now is my final conclusion. Fear God. And obey his commands, for this is everyone's duty. God will judge us for everything we do, including every secret thing, whether good or bad. Guys, sometimes I fear we don't get this. We don't cultivate the fear of God in our lives, and we think, oh, we're just out there doing whatever we want to do. Making it about us, we have to realize, hey, one day we'll stand before our Maker Secondly, what kept Samuel on the right track as a leader is that he knew his position was given to him by the Lord. What's my point here? I'm saying that all power, all authority is derivative. In other words, it is passed on to us from a higher authority. And guess who the highest authority is, guys? It's God himself. God himself is the ultimate authority. If he has chosen to entrust you with authority, whether that be as a parent or as a teacher, as a coach or as a, a, a principal or whatever it might be, a co-worker, maybe you're, maybe you're a bank teller. I don't know what your role and responsibility is, but if you've been entrusted with it, guess what? You need to know it has been passed down to you ultimately from God. God is the ultimate authority in our lives. He's the highest authority of all. And all authority that we've been given is derivative. It comes from him. 
Samuel recognized that. He understood that God had called him to this position and given him that place. Thirdly, he also tried to follow God's example as a leader. Was he perfect? No. Samuel was not perfect. But when he messed up and made mistakes, he got back on track because he realized the goal of leadership is to continue following Jesus. To continue following the Lord's example. So again, I don't know what your dreams or aspirations are here today. I don't know what your responsibilities are. But I do know this, the fact that God has given you life, God has entrusted you with a very precious responsibility. That life that you've been given, just the fact that you're sitting here breathing this morning. Everybody check and make sure you're breathing still. Everybody check and make sure the guy next to you is still breathing. All right. Is everybody alive? If you're alive, it's because God has entrusted you with a precious resource of life, a life to live. I hope that you can be inspired today by the legacy of Samuel. Samuel resisted the temptation his entire life to cheat others, to oppress others, to take bribes from people and pervert justice. Samuel was a man who did not consider his position of authority something to be used to his own advantage over other people. And guess what? That is a Christ-like example. He lived a Christ-like life. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 says, You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly, or God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven. And on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Listen, guys, note the pattern. Jesus humbled himself. He didn't didn't think that equality with God was something to be used to his own advantage. So he let it go, and he came and took the form of a servant. Why? Because he loved you and he loved me. And he wanted to save us from our sin. He wanted to give us the opportunity to have eternal life and to live with him forever. That's a beautiful picture of God's heart, of his leadership style. And I I don't want you to miss that today. We need to catch on to that. And Christians, if we'll catch on to this leadership style, this legacy that Samuel left us, I know God's going to bless you. He's going to bless you in your place of employment. He's going to bless you in your family environment. He's going to bless your life. Because as we see Jesus here, he, he suffered. He went through really tough things. But he proved his obedience through that. And in that, God said, hey, now I exalt you to the highest place. I'm not saying that you or I are ever going to be God. That's not true. What I am saying is that if we will be committed to Jesus Christ and to following him and his leadership style... Guess what? God is going to bless your life. He's going to bless your life. So I want to say one last word as I finish this sermon this morning, and that is that Jesus Christ is the perfect fulfillment 
of everything that Samuel was. Jesus is high priest. He loves you. He's interceding for you right now before the Father. But Jesus Christ is also prophet in that he is teaching. He is speaking truth into our lives. He does so through the word of God. He does so on on, on Sunday mornings here, Wednesday nights here, but he also does that on a daily basis if we will get into the word as, as Bud was sharing during the announcements. But not only that, Jesus is more than just prophet and priest. Jesus is also king. You see, Jesus wants you to lead a life of victory and lasting peace. He has plans for you for ultimate prosperity, but he cannot bring any of that about unless you have surrendered yourself to him, unless you have put him in the position to lead you. So you have to acknowledge him as your leader first. You have to surrender to him and receive him as your prophet, as your priest, and as your king. Have you done that today? Have you done that? Have you given Jesus Christ the leadership of your life I'm going to give you that opportunity to do that, to turn your life over right now as we close our message with some prayer.